Guys, before we get to the next question, I want to remind you that PhoneScope is a company that makes custom-molded, precisely engineered smartphone digiscoping adapters. And if you use the JScott16 promo code when uh, purchasing your PhoneScope uh, at PhoneScope.com, you can get 10% off on all purchases. Uh, PhoneScope, in my mind, is the easiest uh, most reliable way to get photos and video immediately on your phone that you can share with your hunting buddies and keep an inventory of the animals you're after. So make sure to use the JScott16 promo code to get the 10% discount. Uh, also keep in mind, you can buy a phone scope in Walmart in a Sportsman's Warehouse. Uh, the the 10% discount does not uh, work there. You have to order it through phonescope.com. But if you're on the run and you need to pick it up, uh, most Walmarts and Sportsman's Warehouse also uh, carry phone, uh, phonescope. Here's a question from Nikos, Nikos uh, Lilis. And he says, I want to first thank you for your podcast. I listen to your podcast on nearly a daily basis, and it's been a crucial tool for my 2016 hunting season. As a real estate broker in the state of Oregon, my hunting time is very limited. I laughed with my wife the other day when I told her that I would rather spend all of my time hunting than selling houses. But unfortunately, we still have bills to pay. My question for you is, how did you do it? Question mark. Where did you place your priorities? I have big goals with real estate and hunting. My philosophy right now is to do work as hard as possible so that I can have free time to spend with my wife and in the woods hunting. Uh, when you started real estate, were you able to spend as much time ch chasing tasty mammals? Uh, thanks for your time, and I'd love the opportunity to prick your brain sometime. Uh, Nico on Instagram is at N-I-K-O-S versus wild. Um, also he says, how, how'd you like your crispy boots for you this season? I Instagrammed you about them. I decided, uh, I'm going to run my boots for one last season, but I'm looking for a new pair. Uh, Nico, I already talked about the crispy boots. I like those crispy guide boots, um, so far for a 10 inch boot, uh, 10 inch leather boot. They've been very, very good. And um, they have a fairly short break-in time, and they seem very durable. I'm going to be wearing them here on this upcoming sheep hunt and then on the Mexico coos deer hunts, the rut hunts that we have coming up uh, at the end of December and, and into January. So uh, I think those crispy boots are, are, uh, are really solid. Okay, let's get to your question about... Uh, my question for you is, how did you do it? Where did you place your priorities? Um, okay. That, for those of you that don't know, in 1997, I got my real estate license in the state of Arizona. I currently still have my real estate license. And one of the things that I did, Nico, was I sat down with a couple of friends of mine on my uh, high school uh, and college golf teams, talked to their fathers. They were in real estate and uh, kind of picked their brains. I was also fortunate. My dad has been in real estate now, probably going on 30 years, uh, maybe more. 
And so I was able to talk to a lot of people that had already been in the real estate business. And I think this question is good because it relates to real estate. But I think for anybody else, because I do get a question from time to time from young guys trying to figure out, you know, how they can balance uh, making enough money to hunt and do the things they like to do. Uh, first of all, I would say you, you have to be in some sort of a niche market. In my mind, in order to be super successful in any business, uh, you have to have some sort of niche. You have to have some sort of way that you are above or better than the competition, or you have to have some sort of expertise or a craft or a trade that, that sets you apart and be known as you know, the guy that is good at X or the guy that is good at Y. And that's kind of what I did with real estate. I focused on uh, vacant land. I picked a specific area in Northeast Phoenix out in the Rio Verde area. And I made it a point to uh, try and know everything I could about my market. So Nico, uh, if your market is in, um, let me look, see where you're at here. Looks like you're in Portland, Oregon. Uh, I I would recommend that uh, you know you could work your sphere of influence, people that you know, family and friends. Uh, you could work certain neighborhoods. Uh, you could work uh, only with buyers, only with sellers. You could work only vacant land, only apartments, only commercial buildings. Uh, but I think the guys that are most successful are guys that pick and not try and throw a broad net or a big blanket over the whole thing and do everything. When you're young and starting out, it's hard to not want to do every type of, of real estate. Uh, but I think the guys that are most successful are the guys that uh, pick a niche and they become known as, you know, the Stonebrook subdivision guy or the Greyhawk subdivision guy or the guy that works with uh, sportsmen and he represents sportsmen in all the real estate deals. Or in my case, a guy that knew Northeast Scottsdale residential vacant land very well. Uh, I think one of the reasons why I had the success that I did is I did not uh, get too wide and I focused and I tried to go deep and know a specific area better than anyone else. That's not saying I did know it better than anyone else, but I, I definitely knew my area. And it, that didn't translate to dollars right off the bat. It took a couple of years. And granted, I was fortunate that there was an incredible real estate boom uh, right there in the middle of all of that. But uh, if you f focus on a particular thing and be good you know, you've heard it said before, you know, be good at a lot of things. I kind of argue with that. In, in business, I think if you can be really good at a couple of things, uh, you know, and be better than the next guy and be on top of things as far as knowing more than the next guy, uh, I, I think that will translate to dollars. Um, I, hope, I hope that kind of answers your question. Let's see here. Where did you place your priorities? I have big goals with real estate and hunting. When you started real estate, were you able to spend as much time chasing tasty mammals? Uh, good question. Yes, I was able to spend a lot of time hunting and fishing 
but I also prioritized it. Uh, I, I knew that I had to be successful in my business in order to be successful in my playtime. And uh, I don't consider hunting and fishing work. Uh, I've got friends, good friends, that have you know sayings on Instagram, do work. And, uh, you know, they consider hunting work and you hear it all over Instagram work and, you know, it's my job and I've never wanted hunting or fishing to be a job. I feel like if it's work, eventually someday I maybe get tired of it. I look at it as it's fun and you can work at it hard, but I don't consider it work. So I try not to mix the two. Work is my real estate. Work is my podcast where I'm working. I'm diligently focused, which you could say if with your hunting or fishing, it's the same thing. But to me, I, I find it different. Um, I think you have to be much more focused. Uh, you talk about where did you place your priorities? My priorities were to, to know the most about my market and to make hay while the sun was shining. I uh, was fortunate to have a good market and, and all of us out there in business know that when you're running through cycles of years where things are really good, that is the time to spend as much time as you can, as much resources and energy as you can to getting ahead and, and um, you know, store that money away. It's very easy to uh, want to buy new cars and new quads and, you know, go on these great hunts, but uh, for me, it was getting a good foundation, getting a home, getting a home paid for, uh, getting uh, land, getting investment properties, income producing properties, uh, things that when I'm 75 years old and, you know, 80 years old and maybe can't work anymore, uh, that are going to come and, and bail me out. Um, you know, I think, well, I'm getting a little deep here, but uh, I think our society tells us to go to school and go to universities and get an education and everything will be okay. Well, I've got news for you. Things have changed. I think starting a business and learning a trade and learning how to be specific and learning a niche and, and um, you know starting your own business and being your own boss uh, is very important. Uh, I think I think education is hugely important, but sometimes not book education, sometimes not college education. Um, you know, maybe you're better off working for, uh, 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 you know, uh, someone that has their own business and you become their right hand man and you became a runner and you just do anything you can to learn that business. Uh, maybe you'd be better off doing that than going $150,000 in debt you know, going to school for four years or, or six years. Um, so I don't want to discourage, I don't want to get emails from parents out there saying you're discouraging my kid from going to college, but I, I want you to realize that the world is a tough place. And um, as far as a real estate broker in the state of Oregon, uh, I, I think you need to pick neighborhoods uh, that you can focus on. I think you need to pick a niche group uh, whether it's you're just going to work with buyers or you're just going to work with sellers uh, or you're just going to work, uh, you're going to sell churches or you're going to sell commercial buildings or you're going to sell rental houses. Uh, but just do one or two things and do it better than anyone else and you'll be just fine.
Guys, I wanted to take time here to thank the guys at the Outdoorsman's. I've known Flo uh, Floyd Green and uh, Cody Nelson for over 20 years. And uh, Outdoorsman's is the leading designer and manufacturer of high-quality tripods, mounting accessories, and pack systems. They are the optics authority. Uh, give the guys at the Outdoorsman's a call at 1-800-291-8065 or go to outdoorsmans.com. Make sure to use the J. Scott promo code and you'll receive 10% off on their products. Uh, tell those guys down there I sent you. Uh, they'll take really good care of you. And I know I've had a bunch of feedback from guys over the last year and a half that have um, gone down and, and, and done business with Cody and Floyd on optics uh, and all the different gear that they carry and uh, have been very, very satisfied. So I want to thank them for their sponsorship of this podcast. Another question here, uh, Jay, I see that you guys do Gould's turkey hunts. Uh, what are the dates for 2017 spring coming up? Uh, it's a, it's, I get a lot of questions on this. Yes, um, I own and operate um, Gould'sTurkeyHunt.com, and that's a website. You can also go on ColburnAndScottOutfitters.com. Uh, but the mother site for the Goulds Turkey business is Goulds, that's G-O-U-L-D-S, turkeyhunt.com, gouldsturkeyhunt.com. Uh, and you'll see the video. Last year we killed 26 birds on six or seven different ranches in the state of Sonora, Mexico. Uh, the, the hunts are usually the, like the first two weeks of May. And um, we, we had a great hunt, uh, been going down for many years. Uh, the Gould's turkey, it's an awesome animal to hunt. Uh, that's a great time to be in the state of Sonora, uh, Mexico. Uh, this year, uh, we've got some dates open April 14th to the 19th, uh, April 19th to the 24th, uh, May 1st through the 5th, May 5th through the 9th, and May 9th through the 13th. Uh, you can send me an email at jscottoutdoors at gmail.com. If you have an interest, you can go, like I said, on gouldsturkeyhunt.com uh, and check out all the photos, all the videos uh, of our latest hunts. You'll get a really good feel for how those hunts uh, go. Next question is from Benito Bodilla. I hope I pronounced that right. Uh, Jay, I listen to your podcast religiously. Uh, I've learned so much from it. I'm new to glassing and have you and your show to thank for this great hunting tactic. Uh, most times I go out, I have no problem glassing up deer. The problem is they've all been does. I have yet to get on any bucks. I understand. Um, I understand bucks will stay away from the does until the rut, but how far away am I close or in the wrong place? I'm glassing up does from 1,500 to 4,000 feet and on everything from northwest facing juniper hillsides to prickly pear fence line flat basins. Uh, I've been glassing all over unit 22 and unit 24. Uh, can you please help me? Thanks for the great podcast. Okay, I'm going to say, Benito, if you're just glassing up does that you're probably not looking in rugged enough country. Uh, I think you probably need to get in a little bit more steep 
canyons. Uh, now, as December rolls through and at, in January, you probably want to glass exactly where you're looking on those prickly pear flats, on those yellow ridges, on the more um, you know doe-infested areas. But you know, 11 months out of the year, typically bucks are going to live in a little bit more rugged country. Uh, I would be glassing the northeast facing slopes and the north facing slopes uh, in the shade in the afternoon. Absolutely put the sun in your face. Put your binoculars where you're looking into the shade and you will probably turn up bucks. Uh, you're probably putting the sun at your back in the morning and just kind of glassing the easy spots. I would encourage you to go on your topo map and find some of the more contoured areas, more of the steep canyons, uh, and you're probably going to start picking up bucks. Um, it's 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 probably just the you know the doe areas. I call them the nursery areas where the does and fawns hang out, which is in a little bit more of the flats, a little more subtle, easy type terrain. Uh, so I think by simply just going in a little bit more steep, a little bit more rugged canyon country. Uh, you're probably going to pick up some more bucks. Hope that helps, Benito. Here's a question from Adam Brister. Jay, I've been an avid listener of your podcast for a while now. I love the info you provide, and please keep up the great work. Uh, Adam, thanks for your support there. Uh, can you point me to an episode where you've done a breakdown on of what to expect each of the Arizona over-the-counter archery deer units. I'm specifically interested where coos deer are concerned. I know you've touched on it here and there, but I'm planning to my hand at one of these units in the next year or two and would love to hear your thoughts on each unit. Adam, uh, I'm not going to do a breakdown on this particular episode, but uh, maybe sometime in December before the January over-the-counter hunt start. Uh, I can break down some of the units. Uh, what I can tell you is, you know, if we're just talking around the Phoenix area, uh, units 22, uh, you know, you can drive right up the Beeline Highway, uh, which is the Highway 87 from Phoenix to Payson. And on both sides of that highway is unit 22. And pretty much once you kind of get up there, um, where you know let's say towards sunflower anywhere between sunflower and pace and off the left or right hand side of the road uh, you can pull off and glass up a coos deer in january um, and and you can go you know over to unit 23 you can go you know from roosevelt lake uh, all the way up to the town of young uh, right off that highway uh, anywhere in between there and glass up a coos deer You've got units like uh, 21 or 6A uh, that have pretty good access uh, for coos deer. Uh, anytime you get about, oh, say 3,000 feet and higher, uh, you're going to have a really good chance to come out in January and have coos deer. And then you've got all the southern Arizona units. Um, you've got your uh, thir 33 uh, you know, which is right around Tucson, your 34A, uh, your, your 34B, your 35A, 35B, 36A, B, and C, 
Uh, you've got all those uh, right there between Tucson and Nogales. Uh, if you focus anywhere 3,000 to say 6,000 feet uh, above sea level, you're going to come out in January, have no problem glassing up coos deer. Um, you, then you've got, you know, a little bit more over uh, east of there. You've got, you know, your 32s, your 31s. You've got, you know, Mount Graham. Uh, in 31 around the Safford area, you know, say, say south of Safford, south of the San Carlos Indian Reservation, uh, you know, your, your unit 32 outside of San Manuel, uh, Winkleman, um, any of those southern Arizona units, uh, 34A has a ton of deer, 36C, 35A, 35B, you know, around Parker Canyon Lake, um, there's just so many great places to go. Um, you know, if, 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 if I was a new person coming from out of state, there's just something about Southern Arizona, that yellow grass, the oak trees, you know, the oaks on the North facing slope, the yellow grass on the South facing slope, and even down into some of the mesquite and Ocotillo country where you're, you know, a little bit lower elevation, uh, you're going to have no problem as a non-resident if you can come out here and spend a week. You're going to have absolutely no problem uh, right off of some main roads, to be honest with you, glassing up uh, coos deer. Uh, and then, you know, some of the, you know, like Unit 27 is is kind of a, a crown jewel for coos deer as well. It, it probably for an out-of-stater isn't one that I would recommend just because it's um, you know, maybe a little less dense, less deer and a little more pockety. Um, but yeah, central Arizona, 6A, 21, 22, 23, 24A, 24B, those are hard to beat. Uh, and then anywhere around Tucson, uh, you've got, uh, you know, 33 is, is an incredible unit right there in the Catalinas and the Rincons uh, for coos deer. You've got 34A, which is the Santa Ritas. Uh, you got 34B, which is the Whetstones. Uh, you know, down in the 36C, uh, C, you got Baba Kivris. Uh, you've got all that stuff, 35A and B down there by Parker Canyon Lake. Uh, and um, yeah, highly recommend uh, guys that want to come out for archery. The beautiful thing too is a lot of times you'll catch a mule deer that's, you know, if you're hunting kind of in that, you know, 2,500 to 3,000 uh, feet elevation, you could catch a really nice, you know, 160, 170, 180 class mule deer, uh, rutting mule deer does um, like crazy. So um, get a lot of questions from non-residents uh, wanting to know about those OTC and wanting to know specifically where to go and what have you. And I can just tell you, you're coming during the peak of the rut. Imagine if I, you know, said I'm coming to your state, you know, let's say Kansas or let's say Iowa, and I'm coming there, and oh, I can come during the month of November. You would probably say, well, that's absolutely the best time you could come, and you know, on public land, if if you guys had the public land that we do, Arizona has, you know, seventeen uh, percent of the state is private, and the other. I think 83%, I think my facts are pretty close, 83% of public land. So there's a ton of national forest, uh, BLM, and state land that you can come hunt uh, over-the-counter archery coos deer uh, and mule deer. Uh, and you can also, I think the application period's over with, but you can also hunt javelina. 
So if you if you play your cards right, you can draw a Havelina tag that runs the month of January and have a deer tag in your pocket for the same unit. Uh, and those can make for some incredible hunts. Um, the only thing is, I would say the closer you get to the border, uh, I would just be careful uh, that we do have uh, some illegal alien and drug trafficking issues and problems. You'll be running into Border Patrol. Uh, but uh, southern Arizona is a phenomenal place to be. Central Arizona, you're not going to have uh, those issues, uh, the uh, illegal alien issues or the drug runners. Uh, you're not going to have probably any of those issues. Uh, but there's probably more deer and you're probably going to have more dense areas and pockets of deer in southern Arizona. Um, so hopefully that helps. Guys, don't forget uh, Real Game Calls. Uh, they're located in Gypsum, Colorado. Uh, I use their calls this elk season. He's just coming out with a, a buck uh, buck reel. Uh, makes some buck grunts, and he's also working on some turkey calls. Uh, go to realgamecalls.com. Use the J. Scott promo code, and you get a 20% discount on all purchases. Next question from Je- uh, on Instagram. It's at JessDLC2 underscore WSH. Hi, Jay. Regarding episode 200 glassing techniques, do those rules apply the same when you're trying to glass up desert mule deer in the flats? As far as aspect, sun at your back versus your face. Um, also, what plans do you have on doing a podcast specific to mule deer? Thank you so much for your work. Okay, Jess, um, the answer is yes. I, I think some of the same rules apply when you're going to glass up desert mule deer in the flats. One of the challenges with glassing up desert mule deer is the fact that it's flat. Uh, so you need to get up on some of those rocky knobs And you need to look out into those desert flats where the mule deer typically live. They live in, you know, they don't live in the mountains, so to speak, like the coos deer do. They live in those, you know, Choya, Choya, Mesquite, Palo Verde flats. Um, I I think when you're glassing mule deer, the mule deer might use a small wash that's maybe five feet deep as shade. They might use ironwood trees or mesquite trees or Palo Verde trees or any kind of cover they could get. So when I'm glassing for desert mule deer, I'm looking for the highest cone peak knob that I can find where I have a 360 degree view. And I usually go up and spend all day on the same knob because all I have to do as the sun changes is I just turn and and I can be spinning around that knob at the very top and looking 360 degrees and trying to catch those mule deer out there rutting those does. Uh, But yes, if it gets warm, I'd be glassing on the shady side of those sandbanks, the washes. I'd be glassing in those thick ironwood. Uh, When you look out on the desert floor, what will look like is open. And then you'll see next to the washes, you'll see like the Palo Verde and the ironwood trees causing like these thick little stringers. A lot of times those mule deer will use any type of shade that they can find uh, to, to, you know, to, to seek some shade. Um, you know, the, the, the month of January, they'll be rutting. So, you know, a lot of times you'll see them right out in the wide open on those flats. But, but 
a good rule of thumb if you're going to hunt mule deer, get up on those cone rocky knobs. Use your topo maps. Use your Google Earth to find those areas where you can get up as high as you can. Use your tripod mounted on, you know, optics mounted on a tripod. And the challenge then becomes when you spot a buck out there a mile or two, uh, how do you get from your knob out to the deer and have any clue where you're at? I think uh, one of the best things you can do is make sure you have good landmarks, uh, whether it's, you know, the, the burnt ironwood tree or, you know, the, the forearm saguaro or whatever it is as your landmark. And or if you could have a spotter stay up on the high knob uh, and either use hand signals or use a radio, uh, get the wind right. You can usually move right in there uh, close to those mule deer and, you know, you can use rattling, you can use calling, especially in the rut. Um, But yes, some of the same glassing tactics uh, are the same. I think the only difference is in mule deer country, sometimes you're limited to where you can glass from and sometimes you're you're looking at a longer distance but find those cone knobs those rocky peaks out in the middle those desert floors uh, and uh, you'll find those deer also for desert deer desert mule deer uh, they have to find water so uh, sometimes area can be very arid and there's either you know stock tanks uh, dirt tanks uh, or drinkers uh, know where the water sources are and, um, you know, that's a good place to look for tracks and see what kind of deer sign you have uh, in those areas. Okay, I've got uh, the last question here and I get this one a lot. Uh, I'm just going to leave this from someone that's anonymous. Hey Jay, I've had a question about guiding. I've been working really hard the past couple years to trying to start my own guide service and I've had some really good years taking people out for free on hunts to get my own portfolio built up. Um, What advice can you give me to starting my own guide service? I get this question a lot and um, a lot of times it's from young guys and I don't want to be discouraging at all to you young guys out there listening because, you know, I'm 43, soon to be 44. I was in your shoes at one time. And I will tell you this first and foremost right off the bat. Especially with social media and everything that's going on now compared to when I started, there is this whole perception or persona that being a guide in the state of Arizona is a glamorous glorious thing and I don't want to offend anybody but I want to try and tell you the truth you need to have another source of income very very few guides in the state of Arizona can make a living a suitable living uh, to, to just guide and just guide in the state of Arizona. We in Arizona are subject to draw and it is very hard to have a viable business when you don't know who's going to draw or who's not going to draw. Specifically also with the new change for non-residents where 5% go to those with the most bonus points for that unit and 5% go into a random draw now you have less control or you know 
you have less guy uh, non-residents that are gonna you know you know that they're gonna draw because they've got 18 points or let's say unit 3c archery elk and you know that that you know the last three years that's been a guaranteed now that's cut in half so i'm gonna encourage you young guys out there first and foremost do not think that you can be a guide in the state of arizona and make a living that is going to be suitable for a family you have to have another source of income. I'm not discouraging young guys from being a guide at all, but I'm trying to tell you that Instagram and social media and Facebook has glamorized some of this. And I get people asking me all the time, I wish I had your life. I wish I could go as much as you do. Well, let me, let me explain something to you. My business is real estate. I focused for many years on real estate and I tried to make hay while the sun was shining, I encourage you to get a good job and to on your spare time and your spare moments, if you want to be a guide, great. Speaking about being a guide, the way to separate yourself from the next guy is you have to spend a lot of time out there doing what you do. And I tell people all the time, there's a lot more to being a good guide than just being a good hunter. I know a lot of good hunters that are horrible guides. Some of the best guides are maybe not the best hunters. Some of the best guides are the best hunters. But just because you're a good hunter does not make you a good guide. You have to be able to to be able to relate to people. You have to be able to communicate with people. You have to be able to recognize your hunter's weaknesses. And I see this a lot of times with young guides. They can charge up the mountain. They can pick stuff up, target acquisition right away. They can lay down. They can shoot them on the run. But sometimes you're dealing with a guy that, that you know, spends a lot of time working and doesn't have a, you know, he's not in as good a shape as he can be. Or he has illnesses or he's had injuries uh, in the past that have not allowed him to, to, you know, he's got bad knees or he's got things that, you have to go at the speed of your client. If your client, if you, if you are realistic and you communicate with your client, you, you will be a better guide. Um, so first and foremost, don't think that you can make a full uh, income uh, being a guide. Uh, there are a lot of guides and there's, it seems like every day new guide services popping up and I think it's, it's fine. It's great. Whatever. It's fine. But I don't want to mislead any young guys out there thinking that they can make a ton of money guiding. If you are in other states where where you've got landowner tags or you've got over-the-counter tags where you know that you can book specific hunts and not be relying on a draw, we've got a whole nother different story. If If you can buy an outfitter concession and have guaranteed hunts, or, you know, there's guides in Alaska that make tons of money. There's guides in Colorado that make tons of money. There's guides in states where it's a guaranteed deal that can do really well. But being a guide in the state of Arizona, when you're talking elk, sheep, deer, bear, turkey, everything is pretty much a draw. And there's a lot of competition. So don't quit your day job. Uh, as far as being a good guide... Uh, you've got to be able to communicate with your client. You've got to be able to dictate and, and make the hunt 
around the success of your client. And, and it's not just about killing the biggest animal. Sometimes it is, but sometimes it's about the experience. And I would encourage you as young guides to focus more on the experience, more on the quality of the hunt than the outcome. Uh, and, and uh, you know, use social media to your benefit. Uh, showcase what you can do through photos. So many guides I know never take a single photo and then the next year they're saying, I can't believe I didn't book a hunter. Well, I would argue that just because you shot a nice bull or a nice buck and you have one photo to show of it, you don't have any photos of the sunset. You don't have any photos of the sunrises. You don't have any photos of the, of the landscape. You don't have any photos of the way the country looks. You don't have any videos of your hunter smiling. You just have the, the, the hero shot. And there's a lot more to being a guide than just being a good hunter. Um, I think I've kicked that dead horse. Uh, you know, I, I would also recommend work for someone that has an established business not with the mindset that you want to steal that person's customers, more that you want to learn how does that person do it. There's some great guide services in Arizona and there's some great guide services across the West. And there's guys that you can mentor under and learn from. You may not get paid a whole lot of money, but you're going to learn. Maybe there's an opportunity down the road and that, that outfitter is going to walk away from their business and you can take it over. Um, you know, there's... There's a, a lot of ways to become a good guide, but first and foremost, you, you have to be able to relate to people. Uh, one of my biggest pet peeves, and I'm kind of on a rant here, but one of my biggest pet peeves is guides that bad talk their hunters. I can't tell you, how, it makes me so mad, I can't even see straight. If I'm somewhere and, uh, and or on social media, when guides say, well, we would have done really good if my hunter could have shot straight. Or we've missed 13 times, he finally hit something. To me, that's disgraceful. You're, the reason you're being hired as a guide is the person probably doesn't have the time to scout. And in some cases, maybe that person isn't as skilled of a hunter. And in most cases, they want to come and go on a guided hunt to learn something. It seems like in this day and age, our guides are not trying to be educational. They're just trying to kill the biggest animal and move on. It, it, it makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up when I hear people bad-talking their clients and saying how out of shape they were and how unprepared they were. That's why they hired a guide. That I mean, let's face it. You, you have to be better then the hunter, you have to be better than the other guides. And you have to, if that means leave two hours early from camp, if that means take a day off because you know your hunter's getting too tired and you need to, you know, you know he needs rest or you just hunt a half a day, sometimes that's what you have to do. You have to make sure that your hunter or your client is getting the best hunt that he possibly can get. Those are the guys that are going to tell their buddies. Those are the guys that are going to return. They hunted elk with you. They had such a great time. They drew a mule deer tag. They want to go mule deer hunting with you. They want to go bear hunting, turkey hunting. Uh, 
I think too much in our society these days. It's a one and done and, you know, kick them down the road and, and off they go. And it just makes me shake my head. So my advice uh, is, is I've already, I've already told you, my advice is you can't make money guiding in the state of Arizona. Uh, there's very, very few people that can make a, a living that can support a family. And you have to have a day job and you have to have a day job that allows you some time off. And I think as long as you go into it realizing that you're not going to make a fortune, uh, there's absolutely nothing wrong with doing what you love to do, but realize that you're not going to get rich on it. Guys, I've rambled on long enough here. Hopefully this answered some of your questions. Uh, I just want to encourage you late elk season, uh, Arizona elk season hunters out there starting tomorrow. Uh, Go get them. Have a great time. Uh, hunt it out hard. Those guys that are a few days away from their, their sheep season in Arizona starting, remember it's a once-in-a-lifetime hunt. Uh, you're only going to get the sheep tag. Most of you, this will be your only sheep you'll ever have a chance to harvest. You know, Try and make the hunt last longer than a day or two. Try and give it a, your ultimate effort. Uh, try and not let outside influences, responsibilities that we all have, try not to let those influence your hunt. If you have to go home, leave your camp, go home for two or three days, see the family, take care of some business, come back refreshed and energized. Uh, and if you guys need any help at all in specific questions on sheep, uh, on, on field judging or on tactics or on whatever I'm here, you can send me an email, jscottoutdoors at gmail.com. You can send me a message through Facebook or through uh, my Instagram account. And I just want to thank you guys uh, for your support of this podcast. I also want to thank my sponsors, uh, gohunt.com, Insider, PhoneScope, Outdoorsman's, and Real Game Calls. Uh, guys, go get them. Guys, thanks for listening to this episode, and I hope I answered your questions. If you have any questions of me, you can send them to jscottoutdoors at gmail.com. I want to thank each and every one of you for your support of this podcast. Without you guys, this podcast wouldn't be possible. I also want to thank my sponsors. I want to thank gohunt.com insider. Uh, you can go to gohunt.com forward slash insider. Click on the blue Join Now button, use the J. Scott promo code, and get a $50 Kuyu gift card just for signing up. With the application season just around the corner, uh, GoHunt.com Insider is the best resource out there for researching other states and draws and statistics. The filtering 2.0 system is unbelievable. Uh, you got to check it out. Uh, guys, also PhoneScope.com. Anytime you order any of those products, use the JScott16 promo code. You get a 10% discount. Uh, the Outdoorsmans.com. Uh, Outdoorsmans, they're the authority on optics. They're in Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, you can call them at 1-800-291-8065. Uh, anytime you use the JScott promo code, you're going to get 10% off on all your purchases. And uh, RealGameCalls.com. Uh, they make an awesome uh, elk reel. I uh, used it a lot this season. You get a 20% discount uh, when you use the J. Scott promo code. He's got a new buck reel. Uh, it makes a really good buck grunt. And uh, he's working on a turkey call promo uh, for uh, this spring. So 
Uh, support those sponsors. Guys, I want to thank you so much uh, for everything you do. Uh, if you haven't, uh, please subscribe on iTunes or Podbean. Also, uh, please go and leave a review, a fair review. Uh, that helps our placement on iTunes. And the best thing you can do for me uh, is tell your friends about this podcast and uh, keep all of the testimonials, photos, and all the feedback and questions coming uh, either to my Instagram at jscottoutdoors or my uh, Facebook page jscottoutdoors or my email. Um, I thrive and live off of trying to help you guys uh, be the best that you can be. And I'm so humbled by the questions and the feedback uh, and the ability to help you guys any way I can. If you want to hear specific people on the podcast, uh, you know, let me know. I want to hear it. So uh, guys, uh, the new year 2017 is not too far away. We've got great hunts uh, still going here uh, throughout this late fall and into the winter. And um, we're, we're right in the middle of our seasons here in Arizona and all across the West. So uh, guys, God bless you. And uh, hope you have a happy Thanksgiving. Hope you've got great holiday plans coming up. And uh, I want to hear about it. Uh, I just wish each and every one of you the best of success.